You're listening to episode 216 of the Room to Grow podcast. I'm Emily Goff, a podcasting coach, lifestyle entrepreneur, and a Canadian with a sense of curiosity and adventure, always asking more questions and using stories to connect with and positively impact others. Here on the Room to Grow podcast, we're going deep into big topics like relationships, mental health, business, confidence, lifestyle, personal development, and entrepreneurship, and being open, honest, and real about how to learn from tough lessons along the way when life throws you into the unexpected. I bring you thoughts and guests with stories that will change the way you look at the world and yourself so that we can learn from each other and grow with lots of self-love and compassion every step of the way. There's always more room to grow. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, hey, welcome back to the Room to Grow podcast. And today's episode is another installment, I guess we would say, of the uh, sort of ongoing mini series that my friend Christina Montalvo and I are having on both of our podcasts. Um, Christina's over at the Confidence Project podcast and is just an incredible coach and business owner. She's just amazing. Um, we, she and I have done multiple episodes together that are all listed in the show notes, including episode 210. Uh, which was our most recent one together, all about sparking a conversation about anti-racism. And this is ultimately what this ongoing miniseries is all about. We weren't planning on making this a miniseries initially, and then we realized that we had so many things to talk about. Um, I always want to make clear with these episodes, however, neither Christina nor I are anti-racism educators, nor do we pretend to be. It, that is not our, the role that either one of us are playing. We are just here to help to start some uncomfortable conversations because that's really what all of this is about. And our only goal and, and our only hope um, from doing these types of episodes is to hopefully help you spark some conversations in your own life as well to maybe raise some awareness, uh, to help you figure out maybe some more things to Google as, as we are always figuring out more things to Google ourselves and to learn about as well. And I really hope that you can um, just take a, take that from these episodes. We are not here to be the experts, but we're here to have the conversation and we're here to show up for the hard shit. So today we're getting into uh, kind of an ongoing, again, it's, it's ongoing, ongoing conversation around white privilege. Um, we also get into manifestation. You'll hear about manifestation a lot in the coaching world, especially. And we're going to talk about how white privilege can kind of tie in with this entire concept of manifestation. Um, talking about how everyone has a role to play and the, this, this systemic racism and, and how prevalent it is. Uh, there are all kinds of, of parts of racism and, and, and um, the systemic nature of it that I am still working towards understanding as well. And I also really want to stress that racism is very much alive and well in here in Canada. Um, there can be some, some misconceptions that I hear sometimes around the fact that it's an American problem. It is not an American problem. Racism is not an American problem. This is a, a global problem. It is a systemic problem, and it is very much a Canadian problem. Uh, I shared just a couple of, of statistics, very base level statistics on this episode, and we could go on all day about the statistics um, that uh, clearly, clearly demonstrate um, just a fraction of the racism that goes on in Canada every single day. In fact, since Christina and I recorded this, there's also been um, even more actual <laughs> events that have come out and, and have happened since then, just a, a few weeks ago, um, that are really highlighting some of the difficulties that people of, of color, particularly the black community and the indigenous community, 
uh, face here in Canada, just like they do in the United States and all over the world. And this is a conversation that, that needs to be had. So let's get into this conversation with Christina. Hi, Emily. Hi, Christina. <laughs> Here we are again. Here we are again. <laughs> so we are indeed committed to a mini series. We are because we're recording two back to back and we have a lot. We already know that we actually have far more to say even beyond these two. So yes, this is definitely going to be a mini series. Do we want to give some context in case anyone missed our first episode? Uh, yes. Like introducing ourselves and stuff. And kind or, of maybe some context about our series and, and why we're doing this. Yeah. So, uh, okay. Well, my name's Emily Goff. Um, I am temper. I am Canadian. I am displaced in Canada currently. Uh, I was living in Bali and like traveling all around. I happen to be coming back here to Canada, uh, for a short period of time, like a month or two when the pandemic hit the day after I arrived. Um, so I have been here since and for an indefinite length of time going forward until I can leave again. Uh, <laughs> but I am the host of the Room to Grow podcast, all about uh, business, podcasting, entrepreneurship, relationships, mental health, all of that stuff. I'm also a podcasting and business coach, and uh, Christina and I are BFFs, and <laughs> we are doing this series all about anti-racism and Black Lives Matter and uh, talking about the really uncomfortable stuff like white privilege and everything that anti-racism introducing anti-racism into your everyday life and having those uncomfortable conversations, what that entails and how we are experiencing it. We are not experts at all. We need to make that very clear. We'll make that clear on every episode, but we are just discussing how we are handling it and dealing with it both as humans, as entrepreneurs, and just in our everyday lives. Yes. Oh my gosh. I don't even want to introduce myself though. So good. no, please introduce yourself. <laughs> that was so good. Um, so I'm Christina Montalo. I'm the host of the confidence project podcast. I am many things. One of them is not an anti-racist educator. I'm a strength and conditioning coach an intuitive eating coach and also a business coach. And, you know, I said this on our first iteration, our first episode of this series that I wish that my conversations with Emily could be recorded all the time. These are the types of conversations that I truly wish that more people, and maybe they are, maybe, maybe I'm making an assumption here, but our conversations behind closed doors are so, what's the word? Like if you, what are they? Like, like sometimes we call them high level, but that we call the, we call them that to ourselves because I feel like when we say it publicly, it sounds arrogant, <laughs> which is not my intention we at all. So, we sound like assholes. Yes. No, but truly, um, you know, again, just in case you missed our first episode, um, which it might be worth stating here in case you did, like, I would say, pause this one here and go back to that first one. Um, you know, I, I wish that people would have these types of conversations more in their real life. And maybe it's my hope that if nothing else, that if you're not having these conversations in real life, maybe this series will feel like you're sitting in on one. Again, we're not here to educate so much as we're here to just have a recorded and candid, candid conversation. Um, I guess, you know, that's interesting though, Emily, because if we're not educating, then what are we doing? Like, what, what are we doing? I mean, I, I guess we are educating, but we are not expert educators. Let's mm. put it that way. We, yeah. we are educating from our own individual experiences and standpoints as, as, humans moving through the world, particularly white in my case and white passing in your case, yes. uh, the way that we are moving through the world as individuals. Um, and, and 
you know, they say that you can always learn from somebody who's just one step ahead of you. And you and I have been having these kinds of conversations behind closed doors and with the people in our lives off Instagram uh, for a couple of years. Um, but, and, and you and I have talked about doing, we talked about this in the last episode, we've talked about doing these types of episodes for a long time. We didn't for a variety of reasons that we get into in episode one of, of this little series. Um, and it's long overdue. So, and we have a lot to say, so. And I think it's worth, uh, saying and really just driving home this point that while there definitely needs to be more of a platform for, for black women and for women of color, if two, again, white and white passing women can have these conversations, I hope that it, it's maybe the doorway or the courage so that if you're you know, listening to this and you're white and you're thinking, I, I mean, I don't have to worry about this stuff. I'm not brown. I'm not black. This doesn't concern me. Um, I hope that, again, if nothing else, you listening to this kind of sparks some of that courage maybe of having these conversations with other white people in your life or black people or brown people in your life. Because everyone has a role to play. And, yeah. and all of us, if, you know, I've seen a, a, lot of, um, a lot of the Black community point this out, and, and this is so true. We, we talk about this if, even in the business world, that if you have an audience of one, you have an audience. Correct. And that also doesn't have to mean an audience on Instagram. That can mean an audience in your real life. Like, who are you living with? Who are you close to? Who do you have conversations with on a regular basis? Your colleagues, your friends, your coworkers, your family members, uh, your partner. There are so many people that you can have these kinds of really uncomfortable conversations with. And if nothing else, I think that, and Christina, I don't want to speak for you, but I think that our, our biggest wish from this is to hopefully, like you said, spark some conversations. And, you know, maybe you don't agree with us on, on some things. Great. Go have that conversation with somebody and see what they say. And, and yeah. those are the types of things that we want to come from these. Yeah. Yes. So again, you know, I think something that is kind of going through my mind right now, you know, is it weird? Is it incorrect? Is it something, you know, that two white women are, are having this conversation, but I hope that this like little chasm of a conversation can represent a larger picture and a larger movement of other white women having these conversations because it, it, it matters. It fucking matters. It does. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, but we're talking about something a little bit more specific today within this arena. I'll hand that over to you to start. Well, so I don't think you mentioned on, on this one that Christina, you are American and oh, yes, I am Canadian. And so Christina lives just outside of Chicago and um, Chicago actually, interestingly, just as a, an interesting dichotomy is a bit of a hotspot for not only the coronavirus right now, very big hotspot in the States, yeah. uh, not as big as New York and, and some others, but huge hotspot for the coronavirus. And also Chicago is known for police brutality against uh, people of color, specifically the black community. And I think that there are a lot of misconceptions in Canada that racism, like what we see and, and hear about from the States does not exist here. And there are, I've talked to Canadians before who will kind of look down on the States a little bit when it comes to racism, like that's an American problem. Mm. I need to be clear. Not only is it not an American problem, uh, it is a Canadian problem as well. It's a global problem, but it is, uh, racism is alive and well yeah. in Canada. And anyone who says otherwise, I can show you all kinds of statistics. It just, just one 
one that I will give you. Black people are 20 times more likely to be shot dead in Toronto, Canada by police compared to white people. 20 times. What's the per capita? Like what is the population of black people in Toronto versus white people? Do you know? So black people make up less than 10% of Toronto's population, but account for 70% of deadly police shootings. There it is. That's disgusting, horrifying. I don't even know where to start. Tragic. That that's not okay. And I don't want anyone to make the mistake that they think that racism does not exist here. The other thing is, is that um, I know that this is an issue in the States as well, but I think that it seems to be even more prevalent in Canada is racism against uh, indigenous people here in Canada is huge. And it seems to be almost more uh, socially acceptable, shall we say, to be racist against indigenous people in Canada than compared to the black community. And, but I have, I, I have black, we are making this more about, at least at, at the moment, we're making this more about um, the black community because that is the, the very significant issue at hand that is staring all of us in the face and has been for a really long time. Um, it's not to take away from other groups, but I think that if we can do a lot to change in a positive way, what's happening with the black community about around Black Lives Matter, that will hopefully have a trickle down effect to other marginalized groups, including indigenous people. But I have uh, black friends who have told me horror stories of things that they have experienced in Canada. And there's kind of this belief, and, and I've, I've heard, I've actually heard some indigenous people um, refer to racism in Canada as so-called polite, mm. all of it which kind of goes with the Canadian image, right? Like we say sorry a lot, and which I do. <laughs> like we're very nice. We like maple syrup, all the things. Yes, all of those are true. <laughs> Not everyone is nice. I'm just kidding. Um, but I, I do think that that is accurate to a degree, that sometimes the racism here is a little bit more under the table. Um, it's not quite as blatant all the time. But don't mistake that, you know, the statistic I just gave you about police shooting the black community down compared to whites, those numbers do not lie. And there have been all kinds of different cases here where, uh, you know, the Toronto police profiling and stuff like that. And I'm not trying to pick on Toronto because this happens in, in other major cities across Canada as well. It's just the, the one that tends to come up the most often in, in stats like this. But it is alive and well. And I don't want anyone to believe otherwise. I think that one of the things that has changed this is the president of the United States, the current president of the United States has brought to light issues that were always there, but it's brought it out into the open and his leadership to some degree, to a large degree has allowed allowed some people to think that that type of behavior and that those types of beliefs are more socially acceptable and that has brought it to the surface which in a lot of ways as you and I have talked about is probably actually a really good thing because now we're seeing the cancer more for what it is so that hopefully we can cut it the fuck out and get rid of it and actually see real change to shift this systemic problem that we have 
in, in Canada and the U.S. and around the globe, but especially Canada, the U.S., for sure. And that's exactly, I'm so glad that you said the word systemic because, you know, when we start to think about, um, you know, people always get really upset when they're like, and this is just, this is not my opinion. This is stuff that I've heard and read other people saying like, well, black people perform more crimes. Okay. Let's just say that that's true. Why is that? Like no one is looking at the systemic issues that may or may not make that true. Um, I don't even have a statistic to, to pull up for you about Chicago and I, I almost don't even want to. Um, yes, it's bad. We have, you know, Chicago has 3 million people jam packed into a relatively small area. Um, and I'm not like advocating for police brutality, but there's just a lot of people there. You know, it's, it's, it's a major city in the States, <clears throat> but what's happening in Chicago is not unique to Chicago and that's not a secret to anyone. But again, let's go back to this example. Okay, fine. Let's just say fine that, um, you know, blacks or even Hispanics, let's just go with that. They commit more crimes. Okay. Why is that? Why is that? You know, people will say, and I've seen them say this, like, well, because like, because Mexican, that's what Mexicans do. Like there's a reason behind this behavior. And, you know, is it, um, you know, lack of resources, lack of access, lack of whatever. And this, this does tie back into a, a privilege conversation, which we're going to table for another episode. But, um, you know, Emily was, you're talking about the racism being more polite in Canada. Um, you know, the States here were really big on like big, sexy media. And one of those things you give the people what they want, right? So what do they want? They want these like overt, like crazy over the top things to be shown on the news, right? So what is that? Super over the top acts of racism are going to be shown on the news, right? Um, and what that dismisses for many of us is, and I believe this is the biggest issue, is this passive aggressive, quiet undertone of racism that has literally lined the entire United States history. And it's, it's so quiet that you can miss it and carry on as usual. And that's exactly what has gotten us to this point, this moment in history, this civil unrest, this revolution, because people are fed up and rightfully so, because I'm fed up also. Um, we can talk about, you know, microaggressions. That's exactly, I think what, what you're referencing, Emily, like, oh, like the racism in Canada is polite. Um, we're shown in the States, this overt, really ugly racism, but that polite, for lack of a better word, is alive and well in the States also, 100%. So let's talk a little bit about what microaggressions are, because I, I saw a really great post on Instagram that was um, detailing some of this. So apparently microaggressions was coined by a black man uh, named Dr. Chester Pierce back in 1970. He was a Harvard prof uh, professor and psychiatrist. And it was, it basically microaggressions is related to the persistent, this is, this is a quote, these are not my words, uh, the persistent presence of stigmatizing representations of black people in television. And he described it as, quote, subtle, stunning, often automatic and nonverbal exchanges, which are put downs of black people, end quote. So there's all kinds of different examples of racial microaggressions. So things like um, assuming that someone is a criminal 
because of the color of their skin. That's a very common one associated with what you and I are talking about. Like I went for a walk in the dark the other night and as I was leaving the house, I'd put on a hoodie and my first thought was, huh, if I was a black male, I would be putting my life on the line right now. Yep. By going out for a walk in a so-called safe neighborhood by putting on a basic article of clothing. Yep. And I would be asking to get killed. That is, and I mean, that is also another entire conversation around privilege as well. But that's the kind of thing that, that we're talking about here when it comes to microaggressions. There are so many examples of this, but something like, um, you know, let's say a black man in a hoodie is walking by. Do you lock your car door? Do you suddenly hold your, your purse tighter? Are you noticing that you are doing those things? Because those are microaggressions because you are automatically making an assumption about somebody based on the color of their skin. And in this particular example, we're just also saying maybe, maybe the said person is also wearing a hoodie, but that is irrelevant. You are ultimately basing it on the color of their skin. Correct. And that is a microaggression. There's all kinds of different um, ones here. Like if you ask someone where they're from, and so Christina, where, where, where are you from? And you would say America because you were born in the United States, but okay. But where, where are you from? Like, where are you really from? That is aggressive. That is a microaggression because yeah. you are automatically implying that someone is essentially an alien in their own home, the, the soil that they were born upon. You are saying to them, you don't belong. Correct. It's unacceptable. And a lot yes. of us do this without ever even thinking twice. It's like, oh, like where, but where are you from? Really? Every single year, someone asks me what my family makes for Thanksgiving. <laughs> so for context, Christina's family is mostly, uh, well, your mom is Mexican and your dad yes. is Puerto Rican. Yeah. So yes. they're both, my mom's a hundred percent Mexican. My dad's a hundred percent Puerto Rican. My entire family is entirely black and brown. Uh, we do actually also have a lot of Native American cousins in our family, um, just through like marriage and stuff like that. <clears throat> um, but not, so I'm 30 years old. I'll be entering my 31st Thanksgiving um, here in November. Um, and every single year, someone asks me what my family has on Thanksgiving. And that is not a mistake that is an example of a microaggression. Now, I, again, I know that um, the professor Pierce um, is talking about against uh, the black communities. So I don't mean to, to detract or take away from that, but that's just another example, you know, and, and they're very shocked. People are very shocked. This is why it is a microaggression. Again, just for context, because they're shocked when I say turkey and meatballs, they, they want me to say like tacos or something, you know? Um, so yeah, that's just that's just an example um, of a microaggression um, to the Hispanic community. But I don't mean to mean to detract from the the black microaggressions. No, and I think that's a great example. And I'm certain that there are people in the black community who have been asked a similar question because there are certain examples made about their food as well. And then we often will make assumptions about the health. Oh God, we could go down a whole road here. Mm -mm. The, the health of the black community and the fact that just as one example out of hundreds that we could give. I mean, we could even go down the entire road of, of Henrietta Lacks, but just as one example 
I believe the statistic is that black women are three times as likely to die in childbirth as white women, at least three times. It might actually be more. In one article that I read, and it was dependent to a certain region, um, okay. it was 12, 12 times more likely. Okay. Because I think I also heard a statistic that the, the three times as likely still applies even in Canada. Wow. So yes, that makes sense. So again, I want to tie this back with like yep. Canada, don't mistake things here. We have our shit too. So don't look at the States as being the problem. That is right. not the problem. This is a systemic problem that all of us have. The other, another microaggression too is, um, if you bring up an uncomfortable topic, somehow related to race or whatever, and somebody immediately says, well, I'm not racist. I have a black husband mm. or I have black children or I have black friends. The fact that you are even having that, that that's your immediate defense and that you were on the defensive immediately right away anyway, tells me that you probably have some racism issues to unpack as okay. we all do, particularly yeah. like anyone who's white, we all have these issues to unpack. No matter how much work you do, there's always more to do. There's not an end point to this. This is a lifelong journey that we're embarking upon, but you can't, <laughs> if that is your immediate answer, my, like my back immediately goes up. If I hear somebody respond that way, I'm like, Oh, you have some things to deal with. My favorite is I have a black coworker. Like, Oh gosh. What like, does that even mean? <laughs> and girlfriend of mine, um, who's black, her and I were talking about this, um, this idea of like, you know, justifying, like, I'm not racist. I have a black coworker. I have a black husband, whatever. But this influx that black people have gotten from like people that are running around, like, I have a black friend. I, I swear I have a black friend or I have a black coworker. And then these black women, these black people are responding like, I haven't talked to you in 17 years, or you've never spoken to me at work before. Like, and now all these people, all these white people specifically are scrambling, like trying to prove like, oh my God, wait a minute. I, I swear that I know black people. Um, and that again, centers white people. It's, it's a, it's not white savior complex, but it's a little bit like that of like, let me prove to myself that I do in fact know black people. And somehow that makes me not racist, but I've seen a lot um, of, of black people that I know, like, why are these people reaching out to me? Like, you haven't wanted anything to do with me in, in weeks, months, years, decades. I've seen that too. Whereas that, yeah. Whereas some, some of the black, um, like black people that I know have said the same thing and they're like, where are these people coming from? Like they're yep. surfacing out of nowhere. And when you mentioned white savior complex, I want to mention that throughout this series that you and I are talking about. Anytime you hear a term that you don't understand, Google is your best friend. So please Google white savior complex. If you don't know what it is, start there. Yes, Christina and I will certainly unpack it in, in a future episode. That's fine. And feel free to let us know if you would like us to talk about that more. We can do you know some research on our end or maybe bring someone on who can talk about it in a much more expert way as opposed to just what Christina and I have learned in our own research and stuff. But anytime you hear terminology like that, either from us or from anyone on Instagram, social media, podcast, whatever, as opposed to reaching out to black, the black community to have them unpack it for you, do not expect people, especially of the black community who already have enough to deal with right now, 400 years of shit to deal with, do not expect them to do that work for you. They are not placed here on earth 
to do that emotional and educational labor for you, we all have access to a Google search bar. So I just want to make that exceptionally clear. And also Emily and I, I, maybe I'm just speaking for myself here. So I myself am not available for your anti-racism work. That is not the work that I do. Um, again, I not an educator, not an expert. Um, so I guess in order to kind of, again, kind of draw that line in the sand, like I'm, I'm, I'm not an expert here. No. Um, I can't help you unpack your white savior, savior complex or what's triggering you or whatever. Um, thoughts on that? really quick, Emily. Yeah, also. I totally agree. So that's the thing, like, like we are going to, uh, we're providing like, you know, some resources and stuff to start with some books, podcasts, articles, ideas that you can examine, look at research for yourself. But this is the thing, Christina and I have done this work by doing this work ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like we, we have not expected anyone to teach it to us unless we were going to actually do the work of reading a complete book around it or use utilizing your Google search bar or whatever it is. And I think that that's a really important reminder that yes, Christina, you have a job. Anti-racism educator is not it. I have a job and anti-racism educator is not it. (laughs) So when you hear terminology that we're maybe discussing on this podcast, I think it's really important to remind you to go do your research. That is part of this work. When we're saying do the work, that's part of the work. If you hear a phrase or something like that that you don't understand, go look it up. Yeah. Um, Kind of going back to the microaggression, I don't think this would be considered a microaggression, but, um, and this could be a whole nother episode. Um, Some of this like dismissiveness of like, not even so much like all lives matter, but kind of the, like, I think of the yoga community specifically, love and light. light, And I know that we have a whole thing planned for that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but this, like everybody love everybody, whatever is completely dismissive. And I think again, that's not going to be like shown on the news here anywhere, anywhere in the States, but certainly not anywhere in the world of like how the yoga community or the spiritual community, or even like the manifestation community or whatever, um, is contributing to the systemic racism, whatever, because it does, it looks so pretty and flowery and nice. And there is a local uh, yoga studio owner who has been very vague, very ambiguous on her stance. And I can see why people are buying it because it's like all souls are created equal. And if you're, if you're into that, like super wooey stuff, which like I could pick it up every now and again, but that's really not my thing. Um, I can see how it's like, yes, like just like love and light and acceptance and whatever, but we are completely dismissing the actual matter at hand. Um, and we could, you know, tie that into representation. Like where are your black yoga students? Where are your black yoga teachers? Uh, where are your women of color? We could talk about cultural appropriation. That's another great one for everyone to Google. Especially cultural for yoga. Appropriation, yeah. Especially for yoga. Um, but again, it's kind of feeding into this like, socially acceptable racism, but no one's going to call it racism. Yeah. And, and a lot of like the, the manifestation community, um, you know, there's some people doing really amazing things with that. And I think that manifestation is a really cool concept to take a look at. But when we look at just the very, and this, again, this is one of like hundreds of examples that we could give. We just look at the manifestation thing. I've seen memes floating around before where it's like, is it manif- did you manifest it or is it your white privilege? And that is real because as someone who's white, 
I have already, if, if all human beings started at the same start line, me being born white automatically and all of the other various things that have come with that landed me at least, you know, like anywhere between 20 to 200 meters above, farther ahead than someone who doesn't have the privilege of being white and everything that comes with that privilege because of the systemic system that we are in. So it doesn't mean that they can't still beat me to the finish line, but they're going to have to work a whole lot harder in order to get there. Yeah. So those are the kinds of things that, that we need to start exploring. And yes, I have a lot to say in love and light. There was an, an episode I did on one of my other podcasts. I, I always forget to say I actually have two podcasts. <laughs> oh, yeah. I always forget about that room. to it, The other one is newer and it's, it's with a co-host. Uh, it's called the What the Fuck is Happening podcast. Um, <laughs> And I actually talked a couple of weeks ago before um, everything to do with George Floyd it came about, about how I can't stand the term love and light because it is, it's only ever white women who say it. And it is dripping with privilege because it is coming from, and, and I know that, that it is often said with good intention, but intention is only good intention if you've done your homework. You know, like you still have to do your homework. And it is often just dripping with privilege and feels like bypassing in a lot of ways. Yeah. So we can get into that more in like another whole episode, but have I you, think that's part of it. Have you seen on Instagram, it's like an acronym FYI and it's like, fuck your intentions. No, I haven't seen that, but I'll it's true. To, it is true. true. It is true. And like, because of this like love and light thing, and I'm, I'm not going to say her name, but there's a pretty well-known, like, I think she's an author, Emily, we referenced her offline, off air. Um, she had this whole series. Do you remember the name of her program initially before she got oh, was in trouble? I can't remember the name of it, but she she landed in hot water. And I attended an affirmative action workshop last night with Latisse Hudson, who is incredible. I love that woman. I'm obsessed. She's <laughs> she's yeah. like my new favorite person on Instagram. And she was talking about about this type of thing where if you don't have a diverse team then this is where issues like this happen because you don't have the people on your team who will recognize, hey, that's cultural appropriation. Hey, that's going to really piss off the, the black community because you are completely undermining them. Like that is flat out racist. There are so many different things where you won't even have someone to give you that feedback if you aren't looking to increase the diversity with the people that you surround yourself with whether that's just, you know, your, your friends, your loved ones, whatever, or in the workplace. Yeah. It's a problem. Well, and you know, this whole thing kind of give everyone a visual of, especially what, you know, what Emily's talking about, about not having a device a diverse team. This woman's program was called something like coming into the light or like becoming the light. And all the images that she used were, for example, one of them was a black man and it was this gradient of him becoming white. Like, hello, I don't even need to be an anti-racism educator to know that that is absolute bullshit. Who the hell approved of that? And so when I think, and I've been thinking about this for a long time because I actually signed some of my emails to my list this way. And I'll say this on Instagram, like I'm a little bit of love and light and a whole lot of go fuck yourself because I feel like that's just really me. But also like, why is it love and light? Like, why can't we just be love and darkness? In fact, there's a Greek goddess who is the, she's the uh, the queen of spring and the goddess of the underworld. And what the hell is her name? Is it Aphrodite? I don't know, but that's what I've got over here. It's like, 
fucking goddess of the underworld. Like, why can't it be love and darkness? Do you for, see, like, for the, context, Christina is saying this to me as she has a sleep mask hanging behind her that says "fuck off." <laughs> <laughs> but do you see how, like, the love and light is a little bit inappropriate right now? Like, what? What about this needs to be light right now? I can't help but try to turn that into a, a white thing, like the lightness yeah. of it all. And it also feels like, you, even if we take the white part out of it, it, it feels like positive vibes only, mm. which I speak openly all the time about the fact how bullshit that is and that we wouldn't recognize positive vibes if we didn't have other vibes. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah, nothing is good all the time. And we wouldn't recognize the really beautiful, joyful moments of life if we didn't have darker ones. And sometimes you have to get the good with the bad. And that's, that's part of the balance of life. That's part of the balance of the universe. So you can't just have light and, and goodness and, and beauty and whatever all the time. That's not how life works. And it also is so dismissive of generations of trauma and oppression. Yes. So there's no amount of yoga, breath work, spirituality, um, crystals, chakras, whatever that is going to help unearth that and acknowledge that trauma. I'm not inherently demonizing all of those things, but like that is not it. That's Same. not it. Those things you absolutely know? have a time and place and they can be really beautiful. And I, I have done all kinds of things related to that, but those things cannot reverse generational trauma and, and right. epigenetical. Yes. Like that is not where that, that comes from. And when people take that approach, even as someone who's white, I, I just, I almost, I almost feel assaulted by its dismissiveness mm -hmm. on behalf of people that I feel are marginalized, that are marginalized. It's not my, my opinion who are marginalized. I, I feel that like for them, I, I'm like, no, that's, you don't, don't just go spewing love and light everywhere. Like that is not, that is not the, the complete picture at all. That yes. is a fraction. And it comes across as very dismissive of, of people's experiences. Yeah. hundred percent. Something that, you know, kind of to tie that up in terms of, you know, the privilege and the bypassing and the whatever I was on a walk today and I was thinking about how not having to hustle. So therefore like manifesting, like not having to hustle is a privilege. That's it. 100%. Because I can't in, in, in any regard, I'm even thinking about the body image issues that I had and in the fitness space, if you don't look like, if you look a certain way, you have to hustle less, right? Like based on what you look like in, in a fitness aesthetic capacity, you add in brown you add in um, black skin, you add in any sort of minority feature at all. So like even being Asian or depending on your, um, your sexuality, or even if you're non-binary, like you have to fucking hustle. You have, you have to. Um, and that is taught to you. And, and that's the society that we live in. There's a very, um, being able to manifest something or being able to like, take a sage thing and like smudge your house and just be like good vibes only is a, it's a fucking privilege. And it's also, um, kind of a lie a little bit. It's a little, um, short-sighted I should say. Yeah. Yeah. I think short-sighted is a good way of putting it because those things can absolutely have a time and a place. And, yeah. and I, I really do actually love and appreciate those types of 
of traditions, I guess we could call them. Or, yeah, practices. Uh, practices, rituals. Yeah. yeah. However you want to, to put that, because I, I've learned a lot from a lot of really interesting people in the last uh, couple of years, especially about that stuff. Yeah. I think it can be really powerful, but it's not going to erase 400 years of oppression. Correct. And I, I know, again, that the intention is not necessarily when somebody says that, that they're trying to erase 400 years of, of oppression, but your words matter. And the language that you use holds a lot of weight. And I think by now we've come far enough to, to realize that that old saying about, uh, old bullshit saying when you were a kid about sticks and stones can break your, your bones, but words will never hurt me. I think we can all agree. Anyone who has done any type of work on themselves in the personal development field whatsoever can agree that that is bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Oh so, my God. Yeah. So we have to be very careful with, with the language and the words that we use and to be intentional about that, but, but you have to be intentional from an educated place. So then you need to go do your homework to then get to the place of being able to be more intentional. hundred percent. Um, by the way, the, the Greek goddess is Persephone. I needed to say that. Oh, okay. Yes. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I had to to say that everyone update yourselves on Greek mythology. Um, I think I'm a little obsessed with this series. I'm so happy we're doing this. I am too, because there's so many different things that we can talk about. And honestly, I just, I I wish that we'd done it sooner because these are the kinds of things that we legitimately will talk about for like four hours on a Saturday night. (laughs) It's not a joke, you guys. Like, it is not a joke. Our longest phone conversation went for six hours. And I think a lot of it was tied to topics related to this. (laughs) Legit. And I... (laughs) <laughs> like most recently my phone died and it was like a big whole thing, but like my phone cannot even withstand our ability to have these conversations. It just dies. And I'm like, Oh my God. I have to start charging my phone in advance. Like if I know that we're talking, I like charge my phone in advance of our conversation. <laughs> I have to do that. You think I'd learn. And it's so funny too. And I think we've mentioned this on a previous episode. Like I'll like cook dinner, wash the dishes, put the dishes away, do laundry, put laundry away. Like go for a walk, maybe go for a second walk, like dust my house. Pretty much I do everything except for vacuum when we're on the phone together. I I walked 30,000 steps a few weeks ago when we were talking. I literally like walked around my town like three times. (laughs) Do you remember you heard something and you're like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm repainting my baseboards. I had the tape (laughs) out. I was painting while we were talking. So this is mostly just a standard uh, day in the life for us to talk about. This I know. <laughs> and I just really, I think my biggest hope is that this inspires these types of dialogues between people and their friends or like people in their circle. Um, I think if even one woman walked away or one listener walked away and was like, shit, okay, instead of discussing the Car- the latest Kardashian fashion show, maybe we could talk about this or whatever it is that people talk about. Um, I think that would be the greatest outcome if one person was inspired to have these types of conversations. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the entire reason why we're doing it is to hopefully just spark some of these conversations and to maybe give you a little bit of extra courage if you feel like you need it too, because I know that those conversations are scary. They are scary because not everybody has someone in their life like Christina or like, like me, like, like the relationship that we have with each other, where it's very easy at this point to have these types of uncomfortable conversations. Not everybody has 
that. And it's been a practice to get here too. Um, yeah. so, you know, you, you won't get better at anything until you practice. And yeah. these types of conversations are no longer optional. So yeah. we all have to start stepping up more, which is why you and I are doing this too, even though we know that we will say things wrong. We will. It's inevitable. 100%. Yeah. And it's fine. When it happens, we'll deal with it and we will learn from it and move on. Yes. And we will um, put some more resources below in the show notes. Um, we'll continue to do that throughout this series just so that there's no shortage of reading or um, further education that you guys listening can take advantage of. So we'll be sure to, to do that, I think, at the bottom of each show. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. Love you. Right. I love you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. I'm so grateful you took the time and it means the absolute world to me. For any references in the episode and all show notes, be sure to jump over to roomtogrowpodcast.com. And if this episode touched your heart, it would mean so much if you would take a quick second to hit subscribe, write a review and share on social media or with someone who really needs to hear today's message. It makes such a difference to keep this podcast going so I can continue to bring you amazing content and absolutely incredible guests. Be sure to tag me on Instagram over at Emily Goff Coach so that I can thank you in real time for listening and connect with you. We're back every Tuesday and Thursday with brand new episodes and I'm looking forward to growing with you. Bye.